Hey, hello, and welcome to the British Canoeing Paddlecast. Thank you so much for being here. It's lovely to have you all along, um, and I'm just so grateful for you being here tonight. Uh, I'm Etienne Stott. I uh, hope you've had a good week, hopefully been out on the water. I don't know if any of you have been out in the sunshine. I've found myself a little bit scorched over the weekend, not being particularly sun safe. I hope you've been putting on your sun cream and wearing your sun hats. Um, but yeah, oh man, we've got a super good episode uh, for you all this evening and I'm really excited about it. It's going to be really cool. But if you missed last week's episode, we were exploring uh, mental health and paddle sports and how those two things just seem to be like peas and carrots and fit together so well. It was really interesting. So if you want, you can listen again to that uh, check it out on the British Canoeing socials YouTube and Facebook and uh, definitely if you're listening on the podcast or you're listening again to this episode really uh, really grateful for that welcome for those people listening again and so yeah so tonight yeah we're in for a real treat uh, we're going to explore a great kind of um, part of the history of canoeing British canoeing and part of that the white water paddling and the river running that has played such a kind of central role in, in the kind of development of our sport over the last 85 years so from the early descents in the 40s and the 50s of European rivers to an explosion of growth you know the, the amazing years of the 70s with groups taking on challenges pioneering rivers that were previously deemed impossible we're going to have some really interesting perspectives on that because we've got um, some really three fabulous guests uh, tonight so a really big welcome to Sue Hornby Roger Hoyton and Mick Coyne um, and these three uh, it's just super good to have you all in the room here to get tonight uh, welcome all three of you and I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this I'm already really excited and just because Quite a lot of people, you know, with the greatest of respect, they may not be aware of your involvement in the history of paddle sport. And, and, and me, myself, I'm looking forward to being educated about this as well. You know, it'd be really nice to hear a little bit about um, you to introduce yourself and just your background in, you know, these paddle sport adventures. Um, so it would be nice if you could just introduce yourselves one at a time. Who will I pick first? Uh, ladies first. How about that? Susie, would you mind just a little bit who you are and, and, and your your claim to fame in the world of adventuring, uh, canoeing, kayaking? <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't count myself as a premier expedition paddler, Etienne, but did a lot of whitewater paddling in the Alps and in France, as everyone did in the, in the 70s. And this led me to do the River Fraser trip in 1981, which was uh, quite a quite a big trip but yeah sort of being around with the guys paddling at the same time as them um, my main thing was wild water racing at the time paddle for GB which um, and in 1981 did the worlds in in Embala but since then um, I've done a lot of um, outrigger paddling and actually led the first women's team to go and do the Nawahini Okikai in Hawaii in 94. And, and that's like a world championships of, of outrigger paddling. But yeah. Cool. So just say that thing about in Hawaii again, because I didn't quite pick that one up. Okay. So Nawahini Okikai, which means women of the sea. Ah. So once you've done the race, you're a woman of the ah, sea. Cool. Well, I'll have to try and you can write that down for me and I can try and read it later because that, yeah, that's really cool. So thank you and welcome for, to being here as well, Susie. It's super nice. And I'm going to go to, to Roger next. Roger, who are you? And, 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 and tell us a little bit about your adventures. Right, Etienne. Well, I, I started off uh, kayaking when uh, in the late sixties, really doing uh, slalom. I think, like everybody did in those days, and then uh, really got involved with um, Mike Jones's expeditions and 
uh, went off to the Dud Cozy, went and did the Dud Cozy in 1976, which was a well-known film at the time. It was made for, for TV and there was only three channels in those days, so a lot of people saw it. And then, um, uh, yes, went on to the Belle and then after that ended up being the other side of the camera. Oh, no, we went again in 1986 back to the Dud Cozy with, uh, 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 with, on a, a trip that Mick uh, Coyne organised. And, um, and then after that, um, uh, I went behind the camera and uh, started, um, yeah, there I am with a red boat. Um, yeah, after that, went behind the camera and uh, did the Indus trip. Yeah, Roger, how is it making you feel watching this video again? Do you know, it's so long since I've seen it again. It's um, I can remember loads about it. I mean, it was very cold. And it was funny, it, uh, uh, Nick Downey, who made the film, he did the commentary as well at the top. You see, we, we got onto that river there at 14,000 feet. Now, of course, we'd done it 10 years before that, and we knew we'd be okay kiking. But do you know, the first time we did go up there, we really didn't know at 14,000 feet whether you'd be able to, you know, expend much energy, you know, actually go kiking. We could in the end, you know, if you're acclimatised. But, you know, we set off. I know Mike Jones had taken along all sorts of uh, potions and drugs to just in case we were having problems. Um, but uh, no, it turned out okay. I tell you what, I particularly enjoyed the 80s kind of little soundtrack, or maybe it's, I don't know, the synthesizer and the, the rolling out of the way of the, uh, of the, of the micro lights and the takeoff technique. I thought that was brilliant. It just looks, uh, yeah, it looks like your 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 equipment is quite, um, I guess, looks, well, the first time I've watched the Dud Cozy one with the fiberglass kayaks, you're thinking, oh my word, and this looks a little bit more like you guys were sort of set for the, set for the, set for the, for the river sort of thing. Now, do you know, funny enough, I think Graham Macrath uh, at Piranha, I think, uh, uh, designed these boats, I think there's a pool bath within, Mick. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we were, uh, we were using in, uh, in swimming pools. Rotor bats, you know, they, they, they uh, Graham developed the mountain bat, um, and we took a mixture of bigger boats. That that one in the shot is, is, is one he designed for us called the Everest, appropriately enough, and then and then uh, mountain bats. And uh, I think it was the first decent size expedition that used them. There, there were we, few of us have been experimenting with them in the Alps, but this was the first time they were used um, in earnest on a, on a, a big trip. And they were sorry, sorry, Mick. Yeah, I think Dave Manby. First of all, I remember seeing him go, going down the tail in it and get you know making little eddies in it, and that's what impressed me about the boat at the time. So you were like, yeah, go on, Susie, go on. I was going to say what you really notice from the boy that they're all making very much slalom moves, you know, in in the breakouts and that, and you can see everybody's background in those days was was originated in slalom, as Roger said at the beginning, and uh, you can see the mate Mick did a lovely breakout, looking coming back in again. You could almost put the poles there, and <laughs> you would have been got to well, clear if up. You, Mick. If you put the poles there, we would have hit them. <laughs> yeah. So just uh, Mick, just because the the video came on and 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 you didn't introduce yourself as well, so Mick, and just tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, we can already tell that you've been around and done a bit of this stuff, but how did you get how did you get started? Well, I came in into white water canoeing slightly later because I'm I am although it doesn't look it, I'm I'm a few years younger than Roger, and uh, really the um, there was a lot of big inspirations in paddling, and most of them to do with with what was on television. Um, and, and in the early days, there wasn't much on television. As Roger said, there was only two or three channels at the time. Um, 
in 72, loads of things happened uh, that all sort of hit the screen in one way or another. There was a film, believe out called Deliverance, which is the first big feature film that had canoeing in it, um, which you know was an amazing film. In fact, the one wall sequences on there really weren't repeated again until that Everest trip that Roger did in, in 76. Um, but at the same time, the Olympics were held at Augsburg, and we suddenly saw slalom on television on an amazing course um and it was open to the public so we could all we could all paddle it um, although at the time i was still slightly young uh, to paddle on it um and in 76 you know the, 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 my sort of big inspiration for paddling was, was mick, mick hopkinson mick jones roger dave man doing the everest trip and this is one of the nice things we was talking about because very often in, in in paddle sports you get to paddle with your heroes and then you you become like like those heroes and and you get to kind of do that. And I was wondering, Roger, who was your kind of inspiration when you kind of uh, got got involved? Well, yeah, when I was very young, I mean, the the the, the, the films I saw initially, Chris Hawkes was made a film about going down the canyon, so we saw the the water that you know, <coughs> the massive water compared to the stuff we have over here. The Grand Canyon, yeah. The Grand Canyon, yeah. And then and then uh, and Mike Jones was on that trip, and then on the uh, the next thing that really grabbed me was um, uh, a guy called Jeff Slater organised a trip again that Mike Jones was on, went down the inn. Now these days. You know, all of us paddle, go over and paddle the inn. But in those days, that was very unusual for us to go over there and do a, a whole length down from, I think, Samaritz down to down to where it flattens out uh, Landek. But, um, yeah, I think Mike, to be honest, I think Mike Jones was the biggest uh, you know influence because Mike was the one that was pushing, you know, getting the um, expeditions going. Once, he, you know, he, he went off with uh, Mick Hopkinson to, to do the Blue Nile. So, you know, and this is my connection here as well, because so not everybody may have heard of Mike Jones, but Mike Jones was my crewmate, Tim Bailey's uncle, and uh, he's no longer with us, not Tim, uh, Mike Jones. And so I know I've heard a little bit and come across this, these stories and just hearing you guys saying about how Mike Jones was like, you know, he was the guy and everyone, I, I read something earlier on today and he just said he was such an inspirational person and, and such a charismatic kind of mover on the scene. And uh, Susie, I was wondering about you because what, what, what brought you into, you know, what inspired you? Because I, I don't know how many um, female paddlers were around at the time doing the sort of thing that you were doing. Were you inspired by female um, paddlers and athletes or did you kind of just, you know, what, 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 what was your inspiration? bit of both I was very inspired by Pauline Squires now Goodwin um, she was on the first Colorado trip and as you probably know a fantastic paddler slalom and wild water racing so hugely inspired by her but equally um, very very inspired by Mike Jones and um, Albert Kerr people like that um, who, who Albert got the first uh, gold medal at World Championships for slalom. So you know, there are a range of people that I think sometimes you, you sort of slowly, slowly set your sights higher and higher. You don't necessarily start off saying, like some people, I want to be an Olympic champion or I want to go and do that gorge. But you suddenly think, oh, I could do that. And, and I looked around me and I thought, I'm damn sure I can do better than they can. So <laughs> it was that. And also, you know, like Roger and the gang, we were out in... Um, 
um, at Augsburg and in the Alps when they were training and we were watching them and knew what they were going to do. And, th- and that was hugely inspirational. Uh, so again, that, and then that's the other thing that I think is really cool is you get to see your heroes quite close up, I think, quite often in, in our sport. And it's really interesting, like you just said, you just you knew what they were about to go and do. So you kind of had a, you know, I think sometimes it's quite cool to see um, kind of what, well, to kind of know, yes, to see yourself following them or to see how compare yourself to what they're doing and you know what they're about to do. So, um, yes. I think also, Etienne, it's it's quite a close-knit community and there were lots of things going on that enabled you to connect quite closely with the people that are doing things and you could talk to them and everyone's really open. Um, we were talking the other day about River Rats, Mick, weren't we, And um, in London, which was a fantastic um, opportunity to talk to people that had done expeditions, done all these rivers, and they were so gracious with their information. I don't know if you want to talk a bit, Mick, about that. Yeah. as a Londoner River Rats sort of started up in, a, in must have been early 80s um, and it was we met once a month uh, in a pub called the Mudlark at London Bridge uh, and this pub had two floors and on the top floor was cleared for us every week and chairs were put out and we'd have a guest speaker come in and that speaker him or her would would show slides or slow a film, show a film of canoeing um, and it was it was a, a time when just we were getting so much knowledge of rivers around the world. Yeah, we had uh, early speakers like Christina Dodwell that came in and talked about the Wagi in Papua New Guinea. Um, I think Rob Lesser came over. Um, various various British paddlers that were doing stuff would, would would show slides and slow film show films. There was probably about a hundred of us would turn up every month. But the amazing part about it was was downstairs. It was just a normal pub. And it was down there that all the trips got organised. And pretty much within a year, you know, the trip, we, we organised the, the, the second ever trip down there, um, literally in the pub on the night when the River Rats was on. Um, and the idea actually came up by, by Pete Knowles, who said, you know, why don't you go to Everest again? Um, and it was just, you literally could think of any country in the world and there would be someone upstairs who paddled it. And there'd be open people saying, say, I'm thinking about going to um, Ecuador. Has anyone paddled there? And, and someone will put their hand up and say they were, or they could put you in contact with someone. Did. And it became a really, really, really big point of communication. It sounds like there was the inspiration, the lubrication and the energy was all there in the same room sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back to, to Roger's trip, um, when he, they came back, they, they gave a, a series of lectures. And I remember the uh, one of them was up in the, in the Chainbridge Hotel on the River River Dee. We were all up there for a slalom or a river race, I can't remember. And they, they gave this lecture and someone asked a question at the end and said, you know, what's it like paddling at, at high altitude? You get altitude sickness, you know, following on from what Roger said. And Dave Manby at the time said, well, it's a bit like being having a really big hangover and having to get up and go paddling. So, of course, we all went out and got drunk <laughs> because... We were trying to emulate what was happening happening with these guys over in the Himalayas. It was a really good excuse. Every time you went paddling, get as drunk as you can because you're, tra- you're, you're, you're training for when you go to the Himalayas. But, but actually, you touched on it a little bit earlier on, uh, you know, about uh, paddlers, kayakers. Um, it is a great sport because, as you know, you're all on the river together. And when you get onto a serious river, you all depend on each other. You have great, great 
adventures, um, great laughs and everything like that. And you all depend on each other. And it's, it's, it, I mean, you tend to stick together throughout your, your paddling life. You know, I mean, I, I'm paddling now, you know, with still with, you know, with Mick and people I've known for 40 years, you know, like Dave Manby and, you know, Mike Hewlett. It's just, you just stick together a lot. It's a great, great sport. And expeditions help a lot. And and I suppose I'm interested, you know, the 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 logistics in these days. Uh, you know, I, I I just again looking through the thing. There was a the fifteen thousand mile trip to the Everest was done on a transit van, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, these are the sort of things that you know. I don't know, Roger, was that part of you? Or well, I guess this was uh, Mike Jones organised it. Is that well? It? Yeah, Mike organised it. Logistics for for a start, we couldn't afford to fly. It's as simple as that. Um, uh, and Mike actually had a, a, a one of his patients was, was I think the managing director of um, of uh, Bristol Street Motors. And when he was at, a, at Lois Ebb, the uh, patient, it got him to Mike got him to agree to lend us a van for a, a whole year. So so you know we had that. Mike managed to get a, a filmmaker Leo Dickinson to to make a film about it, and we got a contract with HDV. But I think that was only about four grand or something like that. But it was a lot of money in those days, and so you could buy a house with that much in them days, couldn't you? Not actually, you could. You're dead right. You could. But I mean, it was that. It was so we couldn't afford to fly. So yeah, it was a month. We had a month drive overland. Then when we got to Kathmandu, it was an 18 day walk up. You know, what did the uh, transit van look like at the end of this? Uh, I guess the thirty thousand mile. Um, I don't know. Is it, I don't know. What did, well, it, did it come back to Bristol it, Street Motors? It did come back, but to be, I, I can't remember how it happened. But the um, starter motor packed up when we were in Kathmandu so on the way back every night we had to park somewhere where there was a hill so that because it, it, as it turns out there's only five of us coming back some some of the other guys actually did have to fly back to go to jobs but um yeah we used to have to park and and, and you know on the Afghan desert looking for a hill where you, because it was a big van you know we couldn't really it was too heavy to push by ourselves so we just needed a hill to start it but yeah it did come back all right we, we actually did have it for about another year but it was falling to bits after that <laughs> and, and Susie I'm wondering in your in your time when there was uh you know you were competing in down river and, and slalom and stuff I guess a lot of trips were done on the road and that's a really nice way of forming like relationships and stuff do you have like fond memories of those trips or is it all a little bit uh oh man oh, you know, sore bum and no kind of sick yeah. bag and stuff I yeah, no, for sure. I, I can remember one Europa Cup trip, particularly that we travelled around in a Mercedes van, a huge van, and we were all in the back. And it was Dave Roos was in the back, if you remember, a great character. And we were just giggling most of the time. You know, it was just so funny with lot, lots of. And you're right, you do feel you know, form bonds with those people. And, and certainly the people that you do expeditions on, whereas Roger said, you really are relying on each other. Um, you know, those, those bonds, you never, you never lose, really. They, they are very, very important. And, and I mean, one of the things I was, funny enough, recently, I was reading my diary from the Fraser. And it's one, one of the weird things, a lot of us keep diaries when we're on these trips. Don't know why, but it passes the time in the evening. But, um, you know, you, you sort of like the respect and the work, how everybody works together to get the fire going, to get the camp sorted, all those things when you're tired, you're cold, you're wet, you're hungry. You just work together and 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 you you respect and, and love each other for that. Mm. 
No, it sounds, I mean, you know, I, I think the, the, the days, the good days out, I think are just a, such a nice thing. And I'm, I'm just wondering, how did each of you kind of finance? What was your kind of lifestyle like in, in, in those years? Were you kind of students or doing jobs? Because I guess nowadays there are people who are kind of pro kayakers. I, you know, I don't necessarily know their lifestyles, how they're living, but people are kind of, you know, able to to support a life. And I'll, I'll start with you, Mick. What, how did you manage to uh, to kind of um, get all this done? Well, I was a canoeing instructor in London. Uh, the youth service was really big back in those days. In fact, I was working with Dave Roos, who, who soon just mentioned. We were doing, um, I was working, I don't know, 20 hours a week as a canoeing instructor uh, at a, a place called Leaside, uh, Islington Boat Club, and it was really flexible. And so I could, the, the, a lot of the early trips I did were with kids. We went to the Pyrenees, went to the Alps, did a big trip over to Norway, um, and I just funded myself from being a canoeing instructor. But the big trips, I went and and the, one of the big things, the internet's around now, wasn't around then, and the big thing that happened in media was Channel 4. When Channel 4 opened up, suddenly normal people, if they had the, could surround themselves with the right experts, could get money to make television programmes. And uh, I was lucky enough to, to, um, to know a, a guy called Paul van der Molen, very good paddler, and he'd done a trip over to um, the Alsec in Alaska and made a documentary of it, which wasn't very well shown. But uh, he came across this concept that he just sort of made up this concept of, of um, as you saw in that film of uh, I'll Do Crazy Trip in 86, of putting micro aircraft and kayaks together, which is a bit more inefficient than using a drone, but that was the way we did it. So Paul and I got together on a Sunday night and honed up this honed this idea down to something that would work. Um, we decided that we should go to Iceland because I'd seen Iceland from the sea during the Cod War, which is way back in the you know, late 70s when I was in the Royal Marines. So on the Monday, we went to, uh, I went to, to where I was studying and got some, got some maps. On Tuesday, we went to the Royal Geographical Society to tell them what we were doing and get some hints. They put us in contact with their, their expert in Iceland. Uh, went to see him on Wednesday morning. He put us in contact with Iceland Air, went to them Wednesday afternoon and blagged two tickets to go to Iceland on Thursday to do a recce. Um, and then armed with those things, we um, walked into the managing director's office of the biggest oil company in Iceland and about 10 other companies and newspapers and told them about this big expedition we were going to do and would they sponsor us. We then came back, went to Channel 4 and said, we've got all this sponsorship from all these companies in Iceland. Can you give us some money to make a film? Um, Only the days before Red Bull, eh? That was the day. <laughs> Although, actually, we were sponsored by Foster's. Who, oh yeah, who um, who gave us a oh so much beer and we put it into a yacht that we used for filming sailed up to Iceland um, and we used it as currency over there because at the time you couldn't buy beer in Iceland so we had a yacht full of boat that we used to blag our way around and buy things while we were there um, but then but we got Channel Four to pay a lot of the bills um, and then when we made the film the day we left I think Paul and I owed about 
30, 40,000 quid we were behind, um, which happened later on, which, which Roger will tell you. Um, so when we got back, um, I went to work for the company that uh, was paid to sell the film. I went around the world selling it for them, sold it to 36 different countries, um, which kind of gave us credibility to go to the Himalayas to do the, the Dude Cozy in 86. So my sort of film background as much as anything else. Oh wow! And Roger, what about you? How did you finance this uh, this uh, this this hobby of yours? This well, uh, it, obsession, it, I guess. Really, really. I mean, I well, I don't know how really. I, well, one particular time, I did know, on one trip, I actually went to the bank manager. I actually went to a bank manager and said, "Look, uh, put well, your shirt fact, and tie on." I'll yeah, I'll tell you exactly what happened. It was I, I was going into overdrafts at the end of every month, and so he called me in. And um, it was in Stratford in, at the time. That's where my bank was. And uh, they called me in. And this guy had slicked back hair, very old-fashioned bank manager. And they had a big stern look on his face. And he said, um, this, um, he had my accounts in print. And he said, uh, this isn't very good, is it? You know, you're constantly going into overdraft. And I said, I said, actually, I don't want to come and talk about that. What I do want to talk about is I'm going on a kayaking expedition. And, um, you know, I need 500 quid. And he was sort of taken off by, by it. And then he quickly sort of said, well, what's it about? You know, and they said, I said, well, it's a river that comes in the Himalayas. And uh, he said, are there any waterfalls or anything in it or anything like that? And I said, yeah, one or two. And he said, he said, are you insured? Have you got any insurance? I said, no. So he called one of his guys in and he took me down the road, got me, in, got me life insurance. And then basically he said, yeah, OK, I'll back you. Here's the insurance. He says, when, you know, have you got a job to come back to us? I said, well, no, not really. But I think I'll get one quite quickly when I get back. So when can you start paying me back? And I said, well, probably about October. He says, we'll make the first payment December. So, you know. Wow. So you really won him over. And it sounds like Absolutely. a really important person, in, in you know, because that was kind of a key moment, right? If that hadn't gone right, mm. you could have been. Oh, well, well, I wouldn't have gone, basically. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And what about you, Susie? How did you manage to finance all your boats and uh, all this business? Uh, I guess it's relatively expensive hobby in some ways. Yeah. I, I, well, I when I, mani I was working, so it was mainly Have you always worked for British Canoeing or BCU or whatever it was? <laughs> no, surely not. No, no. Despite working there for 20 years, I did have a life before it. And um, yeah, I, I was working as an HR manager, human resource manager in London at the time. But um, yeah, so I was working. But when we did the Fraser trip, because we had the Royal Geographic Society and the BBC behind it, and it was going to be filmed. We we were we were very fortunate to get a lot of sponsorship. So a lot of the um, equipment was um, donated for, through sponsorship. So those sort of costs. But we obviously had to pay for our fares and that. But you know we we got we got a lot through that. And and we ha you know that that was that was great. But I, I guess there's always been the attitude. My my feeling has been that I expected to pay for it. Really, um, it was a different different time. Um, but the, but I, I will say the manufacturing trade have been brilliant and they've always helped and supported. And, you know, when I was paddling for GB, got discounted boats and, and they, you know, we had um, Katana boats for, for Everest, which were done by Barron. And um, we had an Everest from Piranha. Really brilliant. And we, funnily enough, we got sponsored by Kevlar. So the yes, actual material yeah, yeah. for the boats was provided. And that was quite radical at the time. You know, we made a lot of having bulletproof 
boats because all anybody knew at that time was they made bulletproof vests um, with Kevlar. So it, it was, um, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot of goodwill from our own trade um, in supporting these things. Yeah, people like Graham Ackworth at Piranha has always been absolutely brilliant to people that were going out and doing things. And, and uh, he supported lots of expeditions and and, and continues to, to support paddlers now. And it really is essential because you don't make a lot of money when you're doing these things. So uh, support from the industry is amazing. And what do you make of, of the, the expeditions? Do you, do you guys still watch, you know, YouTube and see some of the, the people paddling now? And, you know, some of it kind of fills me with a kind of white, white terror. Uh, some of it, you just think that's just so cool. Some of it, you just think, oh, my God, that's so scary. But do you, do you still, are you still quite connected to the kind of what goes on in the white water world and, and stuff? Uh, whoever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you still a yeah. fan, Roger? Oh, very much so. I mean, yeah, seeing the stuff that the guys are doing these days, you know, uh, you know, it's, you know, way above what we were doing, you know, but, uh, uh, um, you know, and, and they're a lot more athletic, you know, and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, luckily I do know one or two of them. There's a guy, Olaf, over in uh, Germany. He's doing some great stuff. Um, and then uh, Dane Jackson's doing some great stuff, isn't he, on the rivers? But, I mean, there's just loads of them. Um, just very impressive stuff these days. And and I I really, from my perspective, I'm so pleased to see the standard of female paddling. I mean, there's some cracking paddlers out there. I mean, Sal Montgomery comes to mind, but there's there's a whole whole load of them, and they they are so brilliant. And I feel like a a novice in comparison to to what they're doing now. It's just breaking boundaries in a different way, which is. But great. that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Of course, everything's relative, you know. And and you know, there's no doubt. I suppose some of the athletes, the white water athletes, now we had Nuria Newman on, you know. One, I think she was the second episode of this paddle cast, and she was, a, you know, an elite slalom paddler, you know, super well trained physically, you know, very, you know, very high level, mentally, have done loads, you know, lots and lots of stuff. But I suppose that the, you know, the whole level is higher, so it's all relative. And I suppose I still absolutely credit, you know, you would say, oh yeah, we're not as good paddlers or whatever, but you know, of course, everything's different, and you know that I still have a great respect. For all of you and in fact any paddler you know because it's all relative isn't it at the time that they're alive what they're doing they're standing on the shoulders of the people that you know were there at the time and absolutely they're you know the lineage of those paddlers now they would not be there without the research you know i guess people are paddling piranha boats you know they wouldn't be you know built on the on the on the on the paddle on the boats that you paddled so it's uh it's remarkable and, and and do you see you know i suppose one of the things that well really interests me in, in white water paddling is the rescue equipment you know like the setup you know the all the pulleys and all the i don't even know i'm probably going to embarrass myself but you know there's a lot of super skillful stuff going on there in terms of protection don't don't i'm going to assume here that you guys traveled fairly light on that front is that how does that <laughs> oh yeah absolutely i don't think uh, we did have uh, two climbers with us when we went into the Ducosi in 76 but I don't think they even had throw lines, to be quite honest. I think they probably stood on the bank waiting for the pick up the pieces. You know, I think Slime was the first one that came. Uh, Pete Knowles was the first one that came up with uh, with throw lines. Green green slime green throw slime bags. Service, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We we had throw bags, um, but it was nothing like it is now. Um, you know, in terms of safety equipment. And what about the fear? What about the fear, Mick? When you were on these these rivers, you know, can you still remember feeling scared, or was it that? I mean, it's adventurousness and and a kind of a whole. You know, you've got this whole group around no, you. No, you know, def no, definitely scared. Um, no, I did it. I did a, a trip out um, 
did one of the first descents of a river called the Moksu, which is in Tajikistan. And I was a token Brit on a Kiwi, Kiwi Russian expedition. Um, it'd been done once before by a group of Russian rafters. They made their own rafts called Plots. And six people had died on that trip. We did the second descent, first kayak descent. And uh, it was horrendous. It was just um, every night you go to bed wondering whether you get, because we're in a big gorge, wondering whether you were going to get through the next day. On the Dud Cozy, we did the same. We, when we did the lower sections of it, we we went to do a three-day section that took us nine days um, because we got it wrong. <laughs> um, and that was that was pretty desperate. Yeah, very, very scared. Um, um, in fact, the day the day we finished, or just the morning that we finished, I remember paddling out, um, and we just got to we we're on a like the first flat section. There's a couple of more big rapids to go. First flat section, and, uh, and we saw this big white helicopter flying up above the river, and we were thinking oh, some poor buggers need rescuing up on the mountains, and the helicopter was for us. <laughs> And so, yeah, because we were six days late. Oh, I see. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. They suddenly sent out a rescue helicopter. Um, yeah, on that, on that actual, yeah, on that trip, this is the low part of the Dudkozi. We were uh, we ran out of food, and we were sort of, and it's an it was a part of Nepal that in those days, you know, it wasn't on the trekking routes or anything like that. And so we we one day just put the boats on the side of the river and walked up to the nearest village. And uh, walked into this village and there's an old lady there. And we were all there in all our, our kayaking gear, you know, looking like spacemen, really. And we were just starving. And this, this old lady gave us something to eat and some tea. And we actually did, we learned a very useful word. For, and it was potato, which was potsami, wasn't it, Mick? And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Which, 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 unfortunately, lower down the river, they didn't know what the word meant because the language, for some reason, oh, changed. Different dialect. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then we also bought something about the size of a football that we didn't know whether it was a fruit or a vegetable, but we kept it in the boat. We ate it every night. We tried cooking it in all different ways, didn't we? To, <laughs> you know. No, I just want to bring in some really lovely comments. Uh, Darren, oh, okay, Chris, first of all, fascinating and inspirational stuff. I also enjoyed the micro light rolling away, man. You know, that's, you know, don't worry about all the paddling you've done. We just like seeing the micro light taking off. And Darren, hey, Darren, nice to see you here, pal. Thanks for the pioneering. Love you all. Oh, it's just wicked. And I just want to welcome everybody who's joined in. Yeah, Julie, great. I've still got a mountain back. They probably exist. They're probably built of super strong plastic and probably still going wherever they are. I think I remember, is it just, just indulge me just as a slight tangent. I remember looking and a mountain back, did it not have like a metal cage inside to be like super duper strong? Was that what that one was? Because I remember thinking, so, no, don't worry, it's fine. Don't no, remember don't that. Worry. I could be talking complete nonsense. Well, what, what, yeah. what it had was it had these metal struts that went down the side that connected oh, the footrest to the seat. Okay. So it would have looked like a cage. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I remember paddling mountain bats in Nepal. We did the, there was some out there, and we did the Marciandi and the Kaligandaki before it was dammed up there. They were probably ours that we left no. out there. We took a hundred probably, probably were didn't bring them yeah. back. Um, yeah, probably were. Just got a question here from yeah, C1, uh, C1 WWR, uh, is a, is a fan. Um, and just hello, uh, Ross. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I knew I was gonna say his code name. Um, 
And I just wonder, he's wondering if you've paddled in areas now which will be regarded as off limits for political reasons. I mean, there's so many things, you know, I guess in Afghanistan and, and, and Pakistan and Syria, some of these mountain areas are probably quite wild and probably a bit dangerous now. Is there, were there any areas now that you look at on the news and think, oh, I've been there? Um, no. Well, do you know, I, I would have thought, I would have thought uh, going up the parts of the Indus and, um, and Gilgit and that was off limits, but guys are now doing it. I know uh, I spoke to Mick Hopkinson a couple of weeks ago and he said a friend of his had just come back from doing the Gilgit, the Indus and um, the Braldu up there. So um, that surprised me, you know, because you'd have thought that was infested with, uh, you know, Taliban, basically. That's all right. Well, we, when we paddled it, um, there was, it effectively, it was a war zone. It was uh, you know, in, in Kashmir, still is, in fact. Um, but we... We had to apply for permission from the government, and the permission hadn't come um, by the time we were ready to, to go. So we 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 drove up there, and uh, finally John Taylor, who was, who was organising all the logistics, turned up and and, uh, and he showed me this piece of paper, and and, it, and he said, and the, the the paper said, you know, um, you have permission to paddle the river from such and such and such and such. Um, and I said, yeah, great. And he said, yeah, but that's not the real letter. The real letter is this one here, which was on a similar piece of paper that actually said, you have not got permission to the But what he'd done is, is photocopied it, tipexed out the word not, and then re-photocopied oh, it. So we turned up in a war zone um, with, with a piece of paper that was a forgery, Um uh, and then, so it was even worse then than it is now. And, 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 and every night, oh, yeah. every night we had to stash the, the the film in rocks just a little bit away from away from the uh, campsite, just in case the army came along and took us away, so that we know we could come back and reclaim it. And Susie, you were about to say something earlier because I was interested. I could see you chuckling at that point about the the the, the areas that are off limits. Um, oh well, I was I was just recalling a trip we did um, um, in northeast India, where it we rolled up in this godforsaken town where they had actually had a curfew at night, and there were people going around with guns, and it it was really quite scary. And that was before we did the Kamang River, um, which was just it was just very lawless. Really, there wasn't political particularly um any wars going on it was just very lawless and the, and a lot of tribal um folk around there that were quite uh, quite interesting shall mm. we say <laughs> no i just another one there phil hadley look there inspirational stuff Susie has always been an inspiration oh. to me that's so cool and i don't, i also really like this comment from leo so it's kind of like paying it forward you know so mick you said you used to watch these you know films or slideshows <laughs> you know in the in the pub i can't remember what you called it now but then it's like yeah mix yeah mix came to proteus to give his breakthrough lecture 37 years ago still got the sign poster oh man there you go and leo i don't know go on sorry susie go on i was just going to say going back to you were talking about being scared on the river um and and i think you're not honest if you say you're not scared to be honest but i can remember very much in my early days doing the vadon river gorge and and we um we were supposed to be led down it by the very honourable Peter Knowles, Acker Slime, who unfortunately had an accident just the day before, so couldn't. So we'd expected a guide to go down it. And anybody who knows it, 
will know that it's a day trip. It takes about eight hours. And it's very, very... Um, very technical in the sense you never know what's around the next bend. So if you're scouting it, it takes forever. I mean, people do it in four hours now. They just go, but but if you don't know it, and there's a bit that goes that you shoot rapid into a cave, it goes underground. And and I had most horrendous swim early on and nearly went down a siphon. And for the rest of the trip, I was absolutely petrified around every bend. And and I just couldn't wait for it to end. And the only bit was when we never knew when we got to the end until we saw a pedalo coming towards us up the river and we, and we knew that we'd got to the end of it and it was just such relief that this pedalo had come up from the lake and we'd finished the Vodong Gorge. Oh, that's amazing. I'm just going to bring this question in from Philip McDonald. He's, he's asking, I wonder if any trips were written off due to equipment failure. I remember a friend's trip was dashed by the lost spray decks and I'm just wondering because, you know, it seems to me um, the equipment is super bomb-proof now and it seems like by the time you you guys were all paddling the equipment was probably pretty solid but did that ever happen anything like that ever happened to any of you no you had to be careful obviously we were paddling in uh, the uh, 76 down the coast it was fiberglass kayaks okay yeah so uh, and uh, yeah and uh, i think a couple of them were written off something like that and and also you know that you, you'd go kayaking you do a, a stint in the morning then you spend lunchtime you know patching up the kayaks with the fiberglass then get on the river and then patch it up again at night. That was, that was you know, we, obviously we don't do that sort of thing these days, thank God. But um, no, I never actually had to give up a, a trip because of um, we, we lost every single boat. <laughs> mm. I think it was always a concern with the fiberglass boats because I know when we did the Fraser that if we'd written off a boat, that would have been it. You know, the, the nearest we could have done was hitched onto a road, got the train to Vancouver and come back with another one. Um, there, was, there was no support on that. So it, it was always in your mind when you were doing stuff. Oh, I tell you, I mean, this is just uh, just lovely conversation. I'm just enjoying myself and I'm just welcome everybody who's coming in and anyone who's listening again, as I, I hope you are enjoying it as much as I am because it's just, I, I feel like we could talk for hours here. And I, I just wondered if any of you would like to just perhaps recall you know, your favourite day on the river or one of those standout days um, or, or anything that like, you know, just one of those sort of moments that you would like be, you know, that, that's a good memory. I do, can everyone bring one to mind if you can sift through one of those in all of the all of the days that you're out there? Anyone got one? God, Etienne, there are just so many. I mean, and mm. it's, it's not a cop out this, but there are no, just no, so don't many. Worry. Even just recently, you know, these days, um, we, we, you know, a bunch of us, Mick and uh, you know, and uh, a bunch of us, as I say, paddled for forty years. We we go off to the Himalayas every year, and I did a trip last. You know, year before last, down the Canali, and um, you know, and it was you're with a, your best bunch of mates. Uh, the the water was just about the right standard for us these days, you know. And then and then actually, there's quite a really long flat piece to to um, to, to go out on. It's just such a fantastic river, which I think is going to be dammed fairly soon, apparently. Oh, so yeah. guys, get out there and do it. It's great. What about you, Susie? What about you? I very much like Roger. It's hard to recall specific, but I can remember some moments, and particularly on the Fraser, when you've got you have a roller coaster emotion quite often on trips, from highs and lows, and particularly when they're four weeks or so, you're trying to control that. But I can, you know, I can recall certain days when you know the sky's blue, Mount Robson's in the background, the scenery is just stunning. You've probably seen some caribou or moose or something like that, and you get that 
good to be alive feeling. You just feel so grateful that you're here and there in this particular place and very fortunate to be enjoying it. And and that goes through for lots of trips from one to another. And as Roger says, the, the really thing I love now when we do trips to Nepal or India is particularly the evenings where you're on on a lovely sandy beach just enjoying the company retelling the tales of the day you know oh it was this big the stopper and all that and you're just enjoying each other's company with memories and the fun of the day so those those are really really good for me and what about you Mick can you pin your pin pin one one day down (coughs) or it was um funny enough one of the best days having was at Lee Valley um, there was a guy called Alan Fox who we were all going to his birthday party 2011, a year before it, before the Olympics. And somehow I managed to blag um, the first trip, first group to paddle it. Um, and there was no safety. They just let us do our own thing. Um, and I got the, uh, the, the birthday list of the, the people are going to Alan's party that was just up the road, and pr- we probably about thirty-five or forty paddlers all turned up to do the, the two courses at the Olympics, and we just paddled or, or, or at Lee Valley with no guides, nothing at all. The funny one of the funny things talked about safety was um, I'd emailed out to everybody to say you know bring a boat and arrive. Um, we all arrived, and there was the occasional swimmer and. Then the safety did come out because all of a sudden someone was swimming and there were 10 throw lines all thrown at the person, um, which, of course, you're not allowed to have on the Olympic course anyway because it could clog up the, the, the machinery. But paddling there all day and then going back to Foxes in the evening with 35 or 40 paddling mates um, just having a big curry, having paddled all day. That was probably one of the best days I remember when we were there. Oh man! And so I just got one other question, a little one, just because I've all—I think I've heard you variously alluding to your paddling. So Roger, it sounds like you're still paddling. Have you managed to keep paddling through lockdown? And are you going to get on the white water again soon? Yeah, well, but I've had a uh, last two weekends at Lee Valley. Really, Lee Valley is pretty much uh, my home. I go with myself, Mike, and uh, Mike Hewitt and um, and uh, Mick Coyne. We, we go there just most weekends. It's great, and then. Um, as I say, we managed to get away uh, once a year to the Himalayas. Usually, if we can get away soon, I don't know what's going to happen with COVID. And mm. but yeah, what about yeah. you, Susie? Do you still get to paddle? Oh yeah, I paddle five or six times a week, mostly on on the Thames because I only live a hundred meters away from it, so I can get lots of paddling in. Um, don't get much white water in. Go away to do sea trips, but every now and then get away to India or Nepal to do. A bit of white water paddling but the the the, the more the fluffy grade three now than the um the really challenging stuff <laughs> oh fair enough i don't think anyone besmirch you on that and uh mick what about you i mean you're still paddling you say do you still get to paddle you're still paddling a yeah, still paddle. yeah we, as rog says we, we get down to lee valley in fact aside from that yesterday i just pumped up my sup so ah, you're getting stand-up paddle boarding as well yeah, i live on the coast live on the sea so uh, the, the weather's just turning now, so it's time to get out there. Cool. Oh, that's so lovely to know that you're still paddling, and that's super cool. And I just wanted to, I've just been prompted, uh, Roger, I understand, and I'm hoping this is happening, that you've got the camera that you use to record these trips, and uh, I guess uh, it'd be interesting to see because... Yeah, yeah exactly. Then. Well, Etienne, this was the, the camera. This is basically the equivalent of uh, a GoPro. 
Yeah, uh, all right. Um, I, I did actually weigh it today, and it was it's 3.7 kilograms. And this is what we used to put on the front of the, the boats um, to give us that shot, you know, the kayaker either looking at the kayaker's face or um, uh, or, or point, pointing forward. It was originally used in 76, and then we took it on the mixed trip in uh, 86. And um, also we took it as well in uh, 90, didn't we, Mick, down the Indus as well? So it's a well-tested, a well-trusted uh, bit of gear. It is. I mean, that's what goes inside it. It's, it was. I think it's got a, a, a one and a half minute magazine inside it, and I think they used to have it in aeroplanes. You know, the, you know to show. I read you know, somewhere it was a gun camera for hurricanes or something, but I'm that's not sure. It. That oh, was wow. it. Yeah. That's super cool. Nah, yeah. amazing. And it's well, un- what you've got to remember is when we were, were making these films, um, it wasn't. You didn't have any video playback. So we shoot film and actually not see the results for two months. Um, and, you know, sometimes the results came out really, really well. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, they didn't. No, thank you for thank you for having that ready to, to go, Roger. I'm glad to see it because it, it is, you know, it's interesting now, you know, everybody can have one of the little cheeky GoPros or something. Which is great, uh, yeah. You guys, uh, you guys are definitely definitely uh, doing that pioneering stuff. And it's amazing that it still looks like it would, be all right i reckon oh yeah 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 there's a mag in it it would still work oh man look so look um i think we've been going for quite a while and and i would actually love to carry on speaking to you all but uh, i think it is time to let start to round things up and uh, i'm just super super happy uh, to have had this conversation with you and and i don't know i hope i don't know maybe there'll be other ways of, of hearing some more of your stories in other times but it's just uh it's just uh been lovely and and i don't know is any anyone else want to say anything la- last moment just to wrap up before we finish has anyone got anything they they'd love to say one last cool thing before we finish go on Susie oh not cool but I think there's an all you know you've got us three on tonight but there's been an awful lot of other influencers and you know pioneers um that are you know we've referred to Pete Knowles Dave Manby lots and lots of people that you know have been really at the forefront and then Alan Fox Foxy and and there's there's numerous people that have been involved so we're just a microcosm of it no, that's cool. I mean, yeah, that's the beautiful thing, isn't it? Of everyone's living on, you know, everyone's been inspired by previous people. Anything else from Roger or Mick? I, I think the opportunities are still there now mm. to, to go and do stuff. Um, and I think sometimes people get a little bit too tied down to their own little group of paddlers. Um, go and meet other paddlers, talk to other paddlers, talk to them on the river. They're all interesting people. Mm. They're all doing stuff. And you know, the secret in, in life, in business, in paddling, is network. Get out there, meet as many people as you can, and it'll enrich your life. That sounds that sounds wonderful. Um, Roger, did you, did you always say, look, Rob Bates, thanks. Oh, hey, Rob, Rob's from my club, by the way. I just got to give a shout out. Thanks for the inspiration. No, no, I, I agree with Susie. There's just, I mean, you, you've got the three of us on here, but there are, there's, there's just been so many of us over the years, you know, I could start naming them all, but I won't. But, uh, you know, but, you know, there's just such a it's, it's been a great community. I'm, I'm really glad, I, I, you know, I took up kayaking because it's just I think it's just the best sport going, really. Me, too. Mm. I second yeah. that. Third and, and fourth. And you can get it. to see the world. The whole world has got rivers. Yeah. 
Hey, look, everyone's saying thank you, and I just want to reiterate that. Thank you so much for being on uh, on the Paddlecast, British Canoes Paddlecast. It's just been so good, and I just feel, yeah, I'd love to, to, to chat to you some more, and I'm sure if we were in person, we could go down the pub and there'd be a hundred more stories to come <laughs> out. But thank you so much, and look, uh, I'm really grateful for everyone for tuning in, visiting, listening, those people listening again. You know, you can get this on a, a, a podcast at your, your usual providers, and you can get it on the British Canoeing social channels on Facebook and YouTube. I hope we've brought a little bit of uh, fun to your evening here. It's been so nice. Um, next week, uh, there's going to be some uh, really cool stuff coming uh, as well. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing you all again soon. But stay safe. Thank you all to our guests for coming again. And uh, see you next week, 8 p.m. Um, lovely to see you there. Great. Thanks, Sachin. Bye, Thank everyone. You. Bye. Bye.